I'm Alex Marlowe, Editor-in-Chief of Breitbart News and author of the New York Times bestselling book, Breaking the News, and this is the Breitbart News Daily Podcast. We begin today with a recap of, yes, January the 6th, which we heard over and over and over again was as bad as 9-11. And we also heard over and over again that January the 6th is still happening today, every day. Thus, 9-11 is happening every day. Amazing. What a horrible country. Virtually everyone in our establishment media has no problem with, with this absurd logic, and I explained that in the opening of the show. Uh, Nancy Pelosi and the cast of Hamilton, yes, the cast of Hamilton, the musical, turned Insurrection Day, or as we call the Breitbart Media Hysteria Day, into literal performance art by performing a song via Zoom that seems to have literally no connection to January the 6th whatsoever. We play the audio, and you will laugh, and you might cry, and you will cringe. Ted Cruz, a typically good senator, keeps stepping on rakes by calling the January 6th riot terrorism. He said this quote was sloppy. Problem is, he said it before, multiple times. It just never became a massive media scandal as it has this go-round. I explain in the beginning of the show. It becomes clear by the day that President Big Joey has failed on all of his core major promises. Number one, he promised to shut down the coronavirus SARS-CoV-2 COVID-19. We're now at near record cases and we're seeing four-figure deaths per day still. Number two, he promised to unify the country and he's single-handedly dividing it more than any other American. I play clips of his perhaps most divisive speech to date. And number three, he promised he'd have the economy roaring back. Our first guest today, John Carney, uh, economic and finance editor for Breitbart News, breaks down the jobs data that came toward the end of the live show today in Sirius XM number 125, as it does every first Friday of the month. And it was a massive miss. Uh, we give you all the details and what you need to know and what it could mean for you. This does not bode well for the Brandon administration, as these numbers are the pre-Omicron surge. So the Omicron surge hasn't even factored in at a major level and uh, a bad sign, those of you who are rooting for Big Joey. So uh, things might get worse before they get better. We also speak today with Katherine Engelbrecht, who runs True the Vote, a voter integrity group that we've long championed at Breitbart News. And she picked up a big win in Georgia, and we discuss it on today's broadcast as well. But first, before we dig into the news, I do want to talk about a great sponsor, American Hartford Gold. I, I honestly don't know why you would not want to diversify your portfolio at this point into precious metals. And if you're going to do that, then why not American Hartford Gold? Uh, I'm not the only one who's noticed that everything is getting more expensive and we're in the biggest economic crisis since 2008 with the government that's printing trillions and trillions of dollars. Consumer prices are the highest we've seen in 30 years and inflation is certainly here to stay. If the government continues its out-of-control printing and spending, the dollar could continue its freefall and lose its coveted role as a world's reserve currency. So how do you protect your money, your retirement, your savings? Well, American Hartford Gold can show you how to hedge your hard-earned savings against inflation by helping you diversify a portion of your portfolio into physical gold and silver. They'll even help move your existing IRA or 401k out of the volatile stock market and into a precious metals IRA, and they make it easy. They're the highest rated firm in the country with an A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau, and they have thousands of satisfied clients. And if you call them right now, They'll give you up to $1,500 of free silver on your first qualifying order. So don't wait. Call them now. Call 866-670-7660. That's 866-670-7660 or text ALEX to 65532. Again, that's 866-670-7660 or text ALEX to 65532. yesterday was spent warning that the nation is in peril because specifically of Donald Trump. Let's hear let's hear President Joey himself. Cut one, please, Haley. Go ahead. We must be absolutely clear about what is true and what is a lie. And here's the truth. The former president of the United States of America has created and spread a web of lies about the 2020 election. He's done so because he values power over principle, because he sees his own interest as more important than his country's interest, than America's interest, and because his bruised ego matters more to him than our democracy or our Constitution. He can't accept he lost, even though that's what 93 United States senators 
his own attorney general, his own vice president, governors and state officials in every battleground state have all said he lost. That's what 81 million of you did as you voted for a new way forward. Uh, This is where it is one of the key promises that Joe Biden had made, aside from revitalizing the economy and shutting down the virus, the other two obvious ones, uh, comes into play where he vowed that he was going to unify the country. I have an entire chapter on this in my book, Breaking the News. It is the final chapter, which makes sense, uh, called A Time to Heal, where I write about a a Time magazine headline that was their uh, lead headline on November 23rd, 2020, A Time to Heal, uh, where it was framed that Joey the Biden was going to be the ultimate unifier, which was a theme in his inaugural address. He would unify the country. Um, I, I know we make fun of him, and he is a doddering old fart. He is skeletal. He doesn't know which year it is. He thinks it's 2020. He doesn't know that Christy Nome is governor of South Dakota. He thinks she's governor of Montana. I mean, the, the list of things where he has fallen asleep at the switch is countless. But I will tell you, he is supposed to be leading this country. He is supposed to be the leader of the United States of America. And we make fun of him because that's the sort of easiest way to uh, frame him as the let's go Brandon guy. But he really is supposed to be in charge of the whole country. He's supposed to be the leader of the United States of America, the greatest country it's ever been. And this is how he talks about his uh, the, the prior president of the United States. He takes this opportunity out of no, he's no obligation to do this and further divides us all with this. I mean, there's none of you who have any kind thoughts towards Donald Trump who can't hear a statement like that and not want Donald Trump to be president again and like Donald Trump more. Of course you do. Even those of you who would think it now probably think of Trump as your last choice to be president in 2024. You still like him more after that statement. That's what he's doing. He is driving a wedge. He's dividing the country and he's savoring it because whoever's propping him up doesn't, doesn't like this place. They don't like this country and they like the idea of a divided America. Um... So it is one that I'm not, I'm not happy about. It is just no way to run a country. Just no way to do it like that. I- incapable of taking the moral high ground. He continues. Let's play cut four, please. Former presidential supporters are trying to rewrite history. They want you to see election day as the day of insurrection. And the riot that took place here on January 6th as a true expression the will of the people. Can you think of a more twisted way to look at this country, to look at America? I cannot. But the problem is, is that we endured four years of that where people thought that Election Day 2016 was an insurrection. It's the elephant in the room, dude. This is the problem with there's no one in the White House that I get the impression. I don't get the impression that they at all Uh, commune with some of the content that is wildly popular that tens of millions of Americans consume on the right. Because if they did, they would know that that's obviously the point that will be made throughout the day on shows like this one. It is so disingenuous to suggest it's so outrageous to think Election Day is Insurrection Day when we were told that around the clock from 2016, November, all the way until... Uh, he, just a few weeks ago where they all of a sudden said, well, maybe the Russian collusion hoax wasn't quite what uh, it was cracked up to me. He goes on still. Cut five. Go. We didn't see a former president who had just rallied the mob to attack sitting in the private dining room off the Oval Office in the White House watching it all on television and doing nothing for hours. As police were assaulted, lives at risk, the nation's capital under siege. This wasn't I mean, a group of tourists. This was an armed insurrection. Great. Terrific. Okay, so the armed insurrection. I mean, uh, we all forget that, you know, the one person who was killed was a woman named Ashley Babbitt. And she was a veteran who was shot dead by the federal government. 
is, is do we not have that context? Does that not matter at all? Not even a little bit. And not to mention, we were lied to the Trump supporters killed Brian Sicknick for months and months on end. We're never really going to get to the bottom of what happened, which I hope backfires on the left. I really do. And I say this as someone from day one, day one, was not happy about what happened on January the 6th. Uh, I think it was very destructive, the events of that day, for Trump's um, uh, movement, the America First movement, a lot of the values that I personally like. And still, I hope that people uh, see some of this hysteria from yesterday. We had an open discussion thread. It was very popular. It was one of the the most viral pieces of content yesterday on the social web at Breitbart um, that uh, we asked if it should be named uh, Media Hysteria Day instead of of, uh, the January the 6th anniversary or whatever. We'll call call it Media Hysteria Day. It's such a concocted narrative that is used to try to further divide the country and to distract from all the other stuff that's going on that's actually going to affect you and your lives and is affecting you and your lives. Like the thousands and thousands of schools that are shutting down right now because of Omicron, because we're incapable of looking at the science that the kids are better off in the school than at home. It doesn't make a difference. They're still going to have to keep all of you, inconvenience all of you who pay countless thousands into the school systems, for example. By the way, even if you don't have kids in the school systems, you're paying for the kids to go to school. They're not getting that well educated anyway, and now they're not going to get educated at all, which maybe is better, unfortunately. Um, now Joe Biden rips his uh, political opponents. Republican Party cut six. I this will be the last one I play for now. I promise. Go cut, cut six. He has done what no president in American history, the history of this country, has ever ever done. He refused to accept the results of an election and the will of the American people. Wow. Well, some courageous men and women no in the Republican of Party are standing against it, trying to uphold the principle of that party. Too many others are transforming that party into something else. They seem no longer to want to be the party, the party of Lincoln, Eisenhower, Reagan, the Bushes. But whatever my other disagreements are with Republicans who support the rule of law and not the rule of a single man, I will always seek to work together with them. No, terrific. To find it- shared solutions where possible. All right, that's great. He's uh, he's so noble. He really loves reaching across the aisle so long as you agree with him on everything. This is the whole trick of unity, is all the people who call for unity still want you to agree with them 100% of the time. They're not willing to move their positions one iota. I never call for unity, and I'm actually pretty open-minded. At least I feel like I'm open-minded. But I think the people who call for unity the most are typically the people who want you to agree with them 100% of the time. So the Republicans have not done a good job, Big Joey says. And he loves it when people reach across the aisle so long as he doesn't have to budge one inch from his position. Great, noble guy. True nobility. Um, I do have to update you on something, and I'll tell you on a news level, this is, I, 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 I have to bring this up. On a personal level, I wish I did not have to bring this up. Alex Marlowe, the news editor, must bring it up. Alex Marlowe, the human being. I know I refer to myself in third person. It's fun sometimes. Uh, Alex Marlowe, the human being, does not relish this. Um, it was a tough day yesterday for Lion Ted Cruz, L-I-O-N. That's why we call him. We call him Lion L-I-O-N. Um, because he said January the 6th was a violent terrorist attack, and he was just absolutely roasted online. Um, it came up on this show over and over again. And I do think that even people who are inclined to like Ted Cruz are pretty upset about it. Um, I think Tucker Carlson kind of was the first and most outraged over it. So he went on Tucker's show. And while on Tucker's show, uh, he did backtrack, which is a good thing, saying that uh, it was sloppy. He said, I think it was the word that he used. He said it was a sloppy and dumb. So here's the part that I don't relish pointing out. Um, the Ted Cruz has been calling a terrorist attack the whole time. This is a direct quote from Ted Cruz's Senate office from May the 28th. The January 6th terrorist attack on the Capitol was a dark moment in our nation's history, and I fully support the ongoing law enforcement investigations into anyone involved. 
Um, that was his direct quote. There is a lead sentence framing this quote as Ted Cruz issued a statement investigating the January 6th terrorist attack. Um, and he also says he supports the ongoing investigation, which I, 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 I what are they, what are they accomplishing here? What is going on with these investigations? Um, I don't, I'm always reluctant to plug the Wall Street Journal, but uh, Kimberly Strassel does a good job and she's got a, a piece out yesterday where she writes about some of the stuff that the January 6th panel isn't probing, including, including Congress's own security failures. Uh, how many things are going to be entirely ignored that would be useful? from this uh, January 6th commission. We're not getting anything interesting out of it. In fact, everyone should be incredibly relieved that as of now, it appears as though, contrary to what Joey the Biden is saying, that it really does not live on. January the 6th is not happening every day the way it's been framed by uh, people like, you know, Pramila Jayapal and people on the hard left who want who love the idea of using January the 6th for a long time, they want to use. Um, uh, Pramila Jayapal said that diminishing January the sixth is own form of violence. It's actually violent. So what I'm doing, even though I don't condone political violence ever, and I don't condone what happened January the sixth, the fact that I diminish it, which I do, I'm actually committing violence. She's talking directly to people like me. So, um, and it, it is the left's goal was to make it so that every day is January the sixth. Here's the Media Research Center. Uh, they have a montage, basically, summing this up. Cut 11, go ahead. The New York Times editorial board marking the new year with this dire warning, writing, quote, January 6th is not in the past. It is every day. The Republic faces an existential threat from a movement that is openly contemptuous of democracy. A lot of people may think that January 6th um, was the end of something, but you believe January 6th was the beginning of something. January 6th never ended in a lot of ways. It's ongoing. This is a January 6th that's happening every single day on the local level that is slowly tearing apart our democracy. You have one party that's being led by Trump here that seems to be trying to delegitimize our democracy. There remains a clear and present danger to our democracy. Very serious threat to our democracy. Threat to American democracy. Threat to democracy. The democratic emergency is already here. We face a serious risk that American democracy, as we know, it will come to an end in 2024, but urgent action is not happening. This is a direct through line between what we saw on January 6th and this issue of voting rights. These two things are, are go hand in hand. Every other issue we want to deal with is contingent on whether or not voting rights and whether or not our democracy exists in this country. Whatever happened to the push in Congress to secure voting rights? It's now up to Democrats in Congress to act and save it. Time is running out. All right, time's running out. January 6th is every day. This is the thing that is uh, interesting about the left sometimes is they won't take good news. Everything we've learned so far about January the 6th is it was not a, a part of some sort of massive effort to overthrow our democracy. It was a bunch of frustrated people who acted inappropriately, did some trespassing and vandalism. I mean, you, you get the guy who enters the Capitol chambers wearing beaver pelts and Viking horns, and we liken that to suicide bombers flying planes into 9-11, incinerating uh, innocent Americans. Uh, the, the Nazis interning Jews into concentration camps and uh, burning them in ovens. That is how we are talking about this event where one Trump supporter died and uh, was killed and no one else was killed. Everything we learned is that this is not some sort of a giant pattern or giant conspiracy. So uh, this is what they do. And the clearest example of this was Hillary Clinton with the Russia probe. She knew that Russia was the weakest spot on her resume, largely because of the reporting of Peter Schweitzer and uh, some of my colleagues at Breitbart News. And so she and her campaign made the calculation that we're going to frame it as actually Trump's horrible on Russia. And they rode that thing for five years. Everything we're learning about January the 6th, that it was an isolated event. So thus we will hear over and over and over again is part of a broader thing that's happening every day. Whose fault? Um, the highlight of the absurdity yesterday was certainly Nancy Pelosi inviting on the cast of Hamilton. Um, 
let's play cut 15 please what this is her live stream event that she had to commemorate january the 6th Clay, um, somehow the arts have a way of saying things in a way that connects that we cannot do any other way and that's why i thought it was really important for us to have the arts lead us in this discussion okay now cut 14. a new year brings hope for the future new energy to face the tasks ahead of us and a renewed promise to strengthen the foundations of our democracy. We are all stewards of the American experiment, working to pass down to our children and our grandchildren a more perfect union that treats all its citizens with fairness and equity. We should never take our rights and liberties for granted, and we must remain committed to finding a way forward together. That's what I wrote about in the song Dear Theodosia from Hamilton. I believe no challenge is worth abandoning our efforts to unite as Americans. We will keep working generation after generation until we reach that someday. And then there was some singing by the Hamilton cast about, I don't know, something or other. But this is a, uh, that, that was Lin-Manuel Miranda, who is the uh, writer of the Hamilton, I guess the star of the Hamilton musical that was a Broadway sensation, I guess, six or eight years ago. And his dad is a big-time Democrat um, bundler, like literally in Democrat Party politics, not just a left-wing guy. He's actually a, a, a active Democrat um, I, I just don't. It's just pretty, pretty, pretty awesome stuff. If you guys see what happens, uh, we have the uh, the front page for you, Brightport News. Uh, uh, literally, theater was, uh, I think, the most popular take on it. That was from Donald Trump Jr. I have to say, I had a nice, quiet evening yesterday, coincidentally, with um the family, and um, Master Marlowe had put on some movie called Encanto, which uh, Lin Manuel Miranda wrote. It, it had to have been the worst Disney movie I've ever seen. And I, I would opine more, but I don't need to spend more of your time on that. But if you have young kids, uh, please avoid. True stupidity. The highlight is that there are songs that are mediocre. The, the mediocre songs are a respite from the uh, otherwise stupid and meaningless, plotless movie with unlikable characters who do nothing. So, uh, just to let you know, he's not that great than Manuel Miranda. Okay, um, other things worth noting. Poll shows a U.S. public consensus that the nation is declining. Just remember, many of the people who are running our country right now, who are bagging cash, who are living lives of luxury, and ideologically don't like the United States, love this. Because they're thriving. They've got their, their vacation homes and their luxury items that they get to enjoy. Endless power, basically their own judicial system at this point, where they're above the law. Um, where you have mafia-like cartels that are starting to run Washington just by passing out enough cash. And the nation's in declining, and just know that a lot of people don't hate that. They really don't at this point. People are A-okay with it. Donald Trump gave a pretty great statement yesterday, I have to say, about Joe Biden's speech saying that he used my name today to further divide America. That is true. Biden, who is destroying our nation with insane policies of open borders, corrupt elections, disastrous energy policies, unconstitutional mandates, and devastating school closures, used my name today to try to further divide America. That's good Trump. That's the Trump that uh, is on the money. The political theater is all just a distraction for the fact that Biden has completely and totally failed. Our country no longer has borders, has totally and completely lost control of COVID, record numbers, exclamation point, is no longer energy independent, inflation is rampant, our military is in chaos, and our exit or surrender from Afghanistan was perhaps the most embarrassing day in the long and distinguished history of the United States and so much more. Why is it that the unselect committee of totally partisan political hacks whose judgment has long ago been made not discussing the rigged presidential election of 2020? Okay, now now play cut 16 for me. My father was in
like it. <laughs> they're gonna solve. They're gonna solve it. January the sixth with that song from the Hamilton cast. That's it. It's just is a we're now totally bifurcated cultural like culture now, where the left makes art for themselves, and they're political first and entertaining second. Um, very few other stuff I want to highlight at the very top, and then we'll get to your calls. Uh, Australia forcing tennis champion Novak Djokovic into a dingy refugee facility is one of the most fascinating global stories, probably the most fascinating story globally. We covered a bit on yesterday's broadcast. Um, but I uh, was stunned by what happened where they told Djokovic, who's an anti-vaxxer, is the, the Serbian number one tennis player in the world who's won the Australian Open, I think, nine times and is a defending champion. Um, he is uh, was going to be given an exemption to play in it, which I guess is this week or next week. And he flew all the way there. And when he got there, the woke mob had pushed back against the the exemption. And now he uh, is not going to be allowed to play. And in fact, they had to quarantine him in a migrant facility. The migrant facility, according to our reporting at Breitbart News, detainees complained of finding mold and maggots in their food. Two fires broke out on the upper floors in the past two weeks. And Djokovic claimed he found bugs in his room. The final indignity, according to the UK Daily Mail, is that it does not have a tennis court. How funny is that? It's it's dark, too. I mean, this is a he's basically put into a gulag because they lied to him and said, uh, we'll, we'll let you play. Djokovic said God sees everything. Sending a message from the migrant camp facilities. All right, and the protests are breaking out, and we're seeing some of these protests, which again a little bit fall into a little bit of my too little, too late camp that I'm uh, that annoys me a little bit that people are finally starting to protest some of these things, some of these draconian measures. But Australia, Central Europe, you're starting to see people stand up, and I don't think they're unfortunately going to be that productive. But I had to mention it because I guess it's better than nothing. I guess uh, better late than never. Um, one more sports-related, Ennis Cantor Freedom, the NBA player who has been very vocal against the Erdogan regime and the Xi Jinping regime in China, has called Elon Musk a parasite for opening a Tesla showroom in China, specifically in the region where the Xinjiang region, where the Uyghur slave camp is. Um, I, I, I continue my efforts to try to prove to those of you in conservative media you're getting rolled by Elon Musk. He is a guy who cuts deals with governments to make himself rich and is not responsible for nearly as much of the technology that he's gotten rich off of as he would like for you to think. And he dunks on Elizabeth Warren on Twitter, so we're going to forgive him from opening a, a, a Tesla showroom in the middle of a area known for its concentration camps and genocide in China. So if you guys let him off the hook because he fired off two tweets, um, you're either a, a stupid or you're lying to us. Did you know that there's a conservative advocacy and benefits organization with more than 2 million members and counting? It's AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. AMAC has become one of the most important conservative organizations in America. Joining AMAC gives you access to money-saving benefits, cutting-edge news, and a magazine full of insightful takes on today's most important issues. But most importantly, AMAC is working tirelessly to preserve the freedom secured by our Constitution. With a full-time presence on Capitol Hill, AMAC is pushing back against the efforts to defund our police, weaken our borders, and replace your freedom with government controls. So stand with me and over 2 million patriots by joining right now at amac.us forward slash Breitbart. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S forward slash Breitbart. The benefits are great, but the cause is greater. So join today at amac.us forward slash Breitbart. Our first guest today is our economic and finance editor, John Carney, who really is truly the best in the business. He is not just crisp on radio, but the guy is a, he does have a crystal brain, as I mentioned later in the show. And he saw a bad jobs data number coming uh, when all the people who are professional predictors predicted a pretty huge blowout number of over 400,000 jobs added. It ended up being under 200,000. 
and the details that are uh, below the top line aren't much better. He breaks it all down with his breaking news report that occurred uh, towards the end of our live show on SiriusXM Patriot. Let's roll it. All right, John Carney's with me, economic and finance editor for Breitbart News, and uh, a massive jobs miss today, and John predicted this in our economic newsletter that we work on together every day, the Breitbart Business Digest, which you can get on the front page of Breitbart.com. You can subscribe, and I recommend it. It's pretty good. And uh, John, give us the data. Yeah, so the economy added just 199,000 jobs in December. The forecast had been for over 400,000 jobs, many people actually saying that there would be as many as 500,000 jobs. So this is the second monthly miss. Remember, we talked about this a month ago uh, when we added just you know around 210,000. That's been revised up slightly. But this is the second monthly severely disappointing jobs report. Um, so who are the people who are hit the hardest here? And uh, but by the way, but before we before we do that, actually, uh, hold that thought. Um, uh, John, it, it's this is pre Omicron, correct? This, this is data that's going to be the pre Omicron fallout. That's right. Omicron hit later in the month when the Department of Labor does the surveys that generate these reports. It does it around the 12th of every month. Omicron had begun to hit in the U.S. at that time, but it really wasn't widespread. It was concentrated in a few areas. So the big you know, shift up, if you look at the charts of infection rates, new cases, that happens later in the month. So things are going to get worse for employment. Uh, this is just the beginning. Um, so, John... Give us the specifics and the data. Where in the economy were, were, were we hit particularly hard? Sure. So one thing that I will note, and again, we've talked about this a lot in the Breitbart Business Digest, is that a lot of retail hiring actually happened earlier in the year. So, And for some reason, the official you know, Wall Street analysts keep missing this. We keep getting it right. So because of supply chain problems and inflation, a lot of people did their shopping earlier, so retailers, retailers added jobs earlier. So normally November and December are big you know, months for hiring people in retail, and this year they weren't. So there was almost no additional incremental hiring in retail this month, which in December, which is really a you know, bizarre situation, rarely happens. Uh, the, we saw um, a, a pretty decent amount of jobs come in in manufacturing and construction, but in uh, hospitality and leisure, also a area of the economy where we're still millions of jobs behind where we were. So think bars, restaurants, hotels. We're millions of jobs behind where we were in 2019, the beginning of 2020, pre-pandemic. Uh, that added just 53,000 jobs. We're 1.2 million jobs behind, 7.2% smaller, and yet we added just 53,000 jobs. That's a problem for the economy, and, I, and I'm not sure that the early retail, high, you know, the early hiring stuff explains that. That just seems to be, you know, a kind of sluggishness being introduced. So do you think the sluggishness is general blasé about the state of the economy in general? Do you think Omicron's a factor? Uh, do you think that there's... Uh, what are the underlying reasons for this, and why, John, specifically, did you think that the predictions were that this was going to be a big blowout number were, were way off base? So I think what, so a few reasons. One, there are still a lot of people who are who don't want to enter the job, you know, an in-person job where they're going to be facing people all the time because they're worried about getting sick. There are other people who are told, hey, look, you're going to have to get vaccinated. They, they also then are saying, you know what, I'm not going to take that job. Employers do want to hire people. It's not clear that they're offering the high enough wages yet. A lot of people are looking at the crazy amount of inflation we have and saying, yeah, you know what, you got to pay me more to deal with this inflation. So right now, again, the, the uh, wage rate is up 4.7%. But inflation is higher than that. So people are actually being asked to work for less money. And I think that's also a big factor here. What made me predict this was the fact that so many people did retail shopping early. 
which meant that that got, you know, that accelerated. Uh, September's numbers were really good. October's numbers were really good. So the traditional hiring in November and December wasn't going to happen. That's That was really what led me to conclude this. What led the analysts to be wrong was that they thought that we were having a hiring wave that was going to keep happening. That's not what's happened in the economy. What happened was a lot of activity got moved forward in the year, and now we're seeing the fallout from that. Um, also, the unemployment rate dropped to 3.9%. Uh, is there anything there that's at all positive? I mean, it's good. The unemployment rate is very low, uh, and it was, you know, we, we were at 4.2. It actually dropped by more. That's a good sign. But if you look, and I, I took a look at this in anticipation of this question, we would have thought we would have seen progress in the labor force participation rate. And we really didn't. It was unchanged, and it's 1.5% percentage points below where it was in February 2020. So that means that despite the very low unemployment rate and the plentiful jobs that we get in the JOLTS report, we're not pulling more of the population back into the workforce. And, again, I think that's for the reasons I cited. Some people don't want to work because they're afraid of getting sick. Other people don't like the wages. And still others don't like being told, either by the government or a big business, you know, you're going to have to wear a mask every day for all day at work. Yeah, and, and that is a bummer, and it does definitely. I feel, I still think some of these supply chain things are lingering, too. I just know, again, I'm, yes. I'm looking at my personal life, but I'm guessing this is a factor for other Americans, too, in terms of, uh, spending and thus that means hiring. That's right. Look, if you can't get items on the shelf to sell, there's no point in hiring the salespeople to do it. When a you know auto dealer can't have cars in the lot, what? what why is he going to hire a car salesman? When you know parts suppliers, even the big box Home Depots, I've gone into some of these shops and look, it's not that the shelves are empty. But, there are, but if you need a very specific thing, they might not have it. That's, that brings down sales. Now, these places have been doing very well. Don't get me wrong. But they're not going to be hiring masses of people on if they can't meet the demand that they're getting from consumers. Um, I think that the, the not meeting the demand that consumers want is interesting, John. But I want to ask about what areas – of the economy are, are, do you see any surprises? Are there any that are falling off that you expected to be doing better? Are there any places that are doing surprisingly well? Um, where are the big uh, movers in the economy? Well, I would have thought that uh, transportation and warehousing, which increased by 19,000 jobs in December, would have been adding even more. Because one of the things we are constantly hearing from uh, from companies at all levels of the economy is that they can't get stuff delivered to people. Remember, and December was a huge month for deliveries. So seeing the sluggishness in that is disappointing. Uh, couriers and messengers uh, were unchanged. That's fine. But uh, I really think that you would have thought you would have seen a lot more hiring there. We didn't, we haven't seen as much hiring in uh, areas like, professional and business services, which is still slightly below the February 2020 level, that's been a strong field, uh, partly because a lot of that can be done remotely. Uh, but it still hasn't recovered to the level that we had pre-pandemic, and I think that is surprising as well. Um, we're seeing with the these this data that with, I mean, this miss is just so huge. John and there's they say there's lies there's damn lies and statistics but when you're thinking about a predicted estimated 422,000 new jobs and only 199,000 come in you wonder like who's paid to make these predictions and how do they get these <laughs> and, and Alex why aren't you and I paid more when we get it right um, I, I, well, we do exactly it's and no one gives us credit for this so we'll only get credit John as if we're wrong consistently for like 10 straight years and then we get one right then then everyone will act like uh, we're, we're geniuses that's right. Look, one of the things I think we should also pull out from this report is that when you get these sluggish reports, it not only means that the economy isn't growing as fast as we would want it to and employment isn't growing as fast, but it actually tends to have a pretty uneven effect throughout the economy. So, for instance, the, there was an improvement uh, among you know, whites in the, the, the white unemployment rate fell to 3.2 percent. 
Uh, there was improvement among adults generally, adult women, adult men, but there was no improvement for blacks, no improvement for Hispanics. So the black unemployment rate at 7.1% is now more than two times what the white unemployment rate is. So even on you know their their own the progressive you know goalposts of always trying to make things more equal between different demographic groups, they're actually falling behind, and it's getting the story is getting worse, uh, which you know tells you that they may talk a good game, but you know Donald Trump made that gap, the black-white unemployment gap, the narrowest it had ever been in history. And now we're getting towards a, you know, historically wider gap. It's usually around two times, and we're far beyond that right now. Um, so wages rose, but this is often because the sort of last hired, first fired rule, correct? So the people lower on the totem pole are the ones who get laid off first, typically. Yeah, no, it, actually, this time, I think it's the wages rose uh, because we have rampant uh, inflation. The wages rose, but they are way behind inflation. So, yeah, you have to pay, you, you, as you're saying, you have to be the first hired. Uh, you have to pay people more to bring them in the door right now because they see what's happening to their grocery bills. You're not going to take a job for the wage you would have gotten a year ago when everything you buy is more expensive. But still, wages are up by less than inflation. And I think that's going to be a problem politically for the Biden administration because people are going to correctly assess that they are falling behind in pay. Um, so one thing, leisure and hospitality seem to have done a little better than expected. What do you make of that? I think actually that that's, that's false. Um, wow. Interesting. So, so fake news. I reported fake news and you caught me, John. Thank you. No, no. I mean, you know, what I mean is, that expectation is nonsense. That that, that field, we, you're, ah. not that you were false, but the expectation, uh, that it. field should be growing much more than uh, the than what it did. We should be adding hundreds of thousands of jobs in that every month, uh, in if you know in a healthy, vibrant economy, because we're 1.2 million jobs below where we were before the pandemic. Uh, you know, it's not like nobody wants to you know, experience leisure and hospitality anymore. Uh, people do, uh, but we're having, tr you know, one, we have, again, if you have to, you know, we have in much of the country, not places like Florida or, you know, but in much of the country, going out to eat, checking into a hotel, you know, regard, you know, you have to show your Vax passport, you have to wear a mask. You, you, It's not a pleasant experience. And we're actually seeing, you know, reports of like, fights breaking out, people, you know, snapping pictures of other people who aren't wearing masks. That's, you know, snooping, harassment. Uh, that's not going to make for a lot of uh, customers, which means that you're yeah. not going to get a lot of hiring. John, I have only about 30 seconds, but I want a quick hot take on the cratering Bitcoin numbers. I know that uh, the Bitcoin is typically volatile. Usually shoots back up after this stuff, but it is at a three-month low. Any, any quick take? I think that uh, a lot of riskier assets, including Bitcoin and all a whole bunch of tech stocks as well, are going to get hit as the Fed tightens because the easy money isn't quite as easy as it used to be. John Carney, economic and finance editor for Breitbart News, and I do uh, recommend everyone check out the Breitbart Business Digest from page Breitbart.com uh, to subscribe that John and I work on every day. <laughs> All right. We also spoke to Catherine Engelbrecht today, and this was a cool one because I mentioned this at the top of the interview, but I'll, I'll state it again here, uh, is that I did get some scathing email that I should be covering more at this big win by True the Vote, uh, getting uh, a, uh, a more thorough examination into clear election improprieties in Georgia and getting Brad Raffensperger, who's one of the villains of my book, Breaking the News, uh, on board with such a thing it was a big win for Catherine Engelbrecht and her team at True the Vote. And uh, despite the tone and tenor of this email, I actually thought it was correct. So I said, great, let's call Catherine. And she came on and we had a great discussion. Let's hear it. Catherine, I brought up that the Georgia uh, ballot harvesting investigation is now 
uh, yielding a audit of some kind, which I want to get your explanation for this. But I also want to say something uh, to the audience that I got a scathing letter because I did mention it on the show once, but I got a scathing letter that I was not doing enough to uh, hype your group through the votes. Great work in this effort. And even though it was very mean, they were right. And I uh, don't say so I'm able to take the emotion out of it and think, you know what? This person's right, and I need to have Catherine on and congratulate her and try to get as much information as we can. Uh, tell us what's going on and about this at least minor victory here that you've got going. Well, thank you, and and uh, and thanks to the anonymous writer, I guess, because it's a pleasure to visit with you. Um, so here's what's going on. You know, we have been uh, very quiet um, for the last, oh, gosh, two two years, a year, and um, and. Now we have uh, finally gotten to the point that our um, our work is finding its way to the appropriate uh, authorities in um, five states. And what happened in Georgia was uh, the, the, wor- the result of work that started back in – we've had this information uh, since the spring of 2021, and it's just been um, a journey to try to figure out who, in fact, would take this information uh, forward, uh, because to be honest, so many people were ready to put uh, 2020 and any whiff of any uh, problem in our elections just you know bury it. And the fact is, we have big problems uh, that that were in existence long before 2020, but we must address them. And so it was with that that we just continued to press forward, and we're very encouraged to see uh, now that an investigation has been called, and um, look forward to what they're going to be able to uncover and what we've seen, which is pretty shocking. Uh, how much effort was it to get this and who did you have to convince because Georgia has got um, I think there's there's a big appetite and there's some really obvious f- things that indicate there was improprieties in the 2020 election but you've also got this guy named Brad Raffensperger who is uh, responsible for so much of it who is Secretary of State and any sort of investigation is probably going to make him look bad so uh, did he have to get he had to get convinced that this was a good idea correct? Well, ultimately, you know, absolutely, our challenge for these last many months has been to figure out what that process really was in terms of who to report it to and who had authority. Because what we're looking at, if uh, if what we are looking at, based upon the data, I want to be very careful in the words that I choose, but it, it, it appears to be criminal. And so that puts this in a, in a, in a different, uh, potentially in a different category. And so, uh, you know, as I would written about on our website once before, the, the process that we went through with this, we tried to be very meticulous in checking every box. We first reported this to the federal authorities. Uh, then we, we took a step to the state. And in the case of Georgia, we started with Governor Kemp and the GBI and first presented to them the data uh, or, the, or the, the presentation of the data with the original set being held at the, at the, by the Bureau, um, thinking that this was the right way to go about this. Um, that was back in the spring. And... Uh, the runaround ensued, and it was not until most recently that we had the opportunity again to, uh, and, and finally just sort of the, the clarity, like, okay, we're going to write these complaints one last time, and we're going to submit them and let the chips fall where they may. And we are, you know, I, 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 I can't explain exactly what the what the triggering was that um, – put the Secretary of State in a mind to go forward. I'm just very pleased that he did. And I can only expect and suspect that it's because what we gave him was very real. Yeah, and I, I, I'm sure you can't share everything, but uh, can you tell me what are the details that you think might have led to the breakthrough? Is there anything that you can share? Um, uh, I, I think that, you know, candidly, we have been so tunnel visioned on this project that, I mean, I'm aware that clearly a lot of things have passed across his desk that didn't pan out and that weren't what they said that they claimed to be. And, and I know that that left a, a stain in, in, um, in, in the minds of many that uh, there was really anything to be uncovered. And so with that as a backdrop, um, I think from the little that I know about the secretary, he is um, an engineer by training. He is very detail-oriented, and he is very um, data-driven. And our data is irrefutable. And I think that 
uh, the, the presentation of, of that. Um, the lack of data, in fact, that you're going to hear some more about today, I think there will be some news breaking, um, irrefutable. And, and I think that uh, those were some clarifying points that maybe had not been brought to his attention. And, um, and because of his training, he recognized the depth of the problem maybe in a way that hadn't been presented to him heretofore. Uh, let's discuss the concept of ballot harvesting on a broader level, which I, I think is pretty clear a major threat to uh, elections that are trustworthy and are high integrity. Uh, can you explain exactly what it is for the audience who's unfamiliar with it and uh, why, uh, I assume you agree with me, and why that is, is such an important thing to keep an eye on? It's absolutely. And, and, the, and the first thing I'd like to suggest to your to your audience is, Let's not call it ballot harvesting any longer. Harvesting is such a genteel word uh, that suggests, uh, you know, a, a field of wheat that is time to uh, reap what we have sown. It's ballot trafficking. That's what's happening. It's ballot trafficking and voter abuse, and it preys upon the most vulnerable of our communities in the most insidious of ways. Each state that we have worked in has a slightly different twist on the manipulation but one way or the next it finds itself centered in communities that are uh, dependent upon resources uh, that that they look to authority figures who hang as the sort of damocles over their heads the requirement that among other things their ballot be surrendered when the time is, is right and that is consistent across all of the states. And so in some, what ballot trafficking is, at least in the way that we have seen this unfold, is an organized effort to target into certain neighborhoods and into certain people groups, into certain voter groups, and either take the ballots directly or convince people that it is appropriate to surrender their ballots for some exchange of, of remuneration on some level, and, and this, is, this is the front half of the grift. It's the, it's the getting of the ballot, the, this, the depositing of the ballot into these drop boxes. It's another matter entirely, and remuneration there is another matter. But the way these ballots are collected um, ranges from just swarming into neighborhoods with escalation scripts that uh, get more and more um, outrageous about why people should surrender their ballots and more and more aggressive. To the other end, where you have people, let's just say, along borders in certain states that are quite literally trapped, and their ballots are, among other things, surrendered in order to uh, secure everything from housing to food for their children to um, access to, to employment. And in those communities, if you don't play the game, you're shut out. You're excommunicated, and and because you are in oftentimes the economic position you're in, you just play along. You keep quiet. This is nothing new. What we saw in 2020, though, was catalyzed. It was the, it was the, the, the magnum opus of ballot trafficking because we had this massive influx of, of money. We had ballot pushes for this mass mail out of the paper ballots. Uh, and of course, in our roles are corrupted six ways from Sunday. So there's a there's some very real problems here, but they are very granular. It's very process oriented, and it takes a tremendous amount of exactitude to get to the to the heart of what is happening. And so it's far from over, but we are now at a place where we can surrender what we have, um, and and only hope that the people that we share this with, the authorities in the various states, will have the fortitude to push it forward. Because I am here to tell you. There is a very real problem. Despite the season that we have just been through of confusion, there is a very real problem that we must address. And it's not going to be an easy journey, and it's not going to be an easy fix, but we have to face where we are and get after it. Because very soon, uh, the cultural mindset will be such that there won't be a way to retrieve this. It's one other point I want to make, make sure, sure. I, I make here, is that culturally, what we are learning is that the participants in this on both ends of the formula don't necessarily see that this is anything wrong. I mean, they kind of have a, a sense that it's not not good to be bundling ballots and, and receiving payment for that. But the people that they look to in their communities 
are assuring them otherwise. And it's and it's part of a broader effort in 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 the way that it's happening um, in their own echo chambers. It's fine, and that has to do with a lack of, of voter education and, and a lack of um, uh, determination to follow the law. Again, something we saw rampantly in 2020, just lawlessness. Just do what you want. What are you going to do about it? And sticking with it and fighting through, I mean, I could write I could write a set of encyclopedias about the battles that we have been through just to get to, to these kinds of conversations that we're able to have today. Battles on all sides of the aisle uh, to, to stop the examination of what's really happening because it makes so many uncomfortable so for so many reasons and every single reason is wrong at the end of the day if we doesn't matter if you're republican or democrat if we as voters cannot trust that the voice of our vote is fully heard at the ballot box then we have real problems and it transcends partisanship and it is very real Catherine Engelbrecht is with me. She's the founder of True the Vote, truthevote.org. Uh, uh, Catherine, I'm going to ask you a scary question. Do you think we're actually making progress overall from 2020? Um, again, there are so many states, probably at least a half a dozen of them, where election irregularities might have actually made the difference in those states. And I think only, uh, uh, I, I don't think we'll ever get a clear answer of that. Uh, do you think we're actually making progress? Because we know the left is always trying to take more territory. Well, I think there are a couple of ways you can look at that. The first is um, I will I will go back in time to when True the Vote started in 2009, and we were told, you know, there's no what, you you know you're playing at the margins. There's nothing here. Why are you doing this? And and our position was always different that that, that an honest election is the underpinning of everything that we are as a country, and and so we continued to. You know, peel back the layers of process and understand where the breakdowns were occurring. Uh, that was a very lonely space to be. Um, now, there were those certainly that understand understood the power of that, particularly the Obama administration, and that's what was the catalyst for the targeting that our organization went through. And and it you know it it hardened us early to understand that we were over the target. That's been though a, a pretty uh, a pretty unique position to be in as an organization. So the so I think the. the the great thing about where we are as a country now, even though it has been a painful process, I no doubt, um, people are awake. People have a, a stirring in their spirit that something is is not quite right, and and that's a that's a that's an important breakthrough, and that's one to be held on to because that feeling is correct. Um, the negative, of course, is that there's been a lot of misinformation. Um, there, you know, the, the, all of the forces that we all know about, the, the limitation of free speech through the corporate media, um, the silencing uh, of those who are truth tellers, uh, those are, or, or more than the silencing, um, those, those, are, those are real things too. Um, but in my experience, um, you have no choice but to, to carry on, uh, you know, otherwise we're complicit. And so that's what we intend to do. And I think that we are in a better spot now than we have been since I've been a part of this movement. It's difficult, but I, I think that the tide's about to turn. What are the states you're focused on right now the most? Um, Georgia, clearly. Um, Arizona, Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and Texas. Very good. Catherine Engelbrecht, True the Vote. If you guys want to participate, you can go to truthevote.org and keep up with what she's doing and contribute as well. Thanks, Catherine. I really appreciate the catch up. Thanks so much. All right, that'll do it for today. Thanks a lot to producers Haley and Greg Eben who make the show uh, sound so good and crisp every single day. And thanks to all of you who are not just telling people about the podcast but supporting our sponsors. All this is very helpful. Five-star reviews, a text messaging a favorite episode to a friend or family member. All of this helps us grow slowly but surely so we can keep getting bigger and better. Going to Breitbart.com, getting the Breitbart app for the latest news 24-7 is always my highest recommendation. Sharing content on the social web. All great ways to support me and what we do at Breitbart.com, and we can't thank you enough. 
That'll do it for today. We're back on Monday for another edition of the Breitbart News Daily Podcast. Thanks for listening.